I do believe we're firmly living in a transitional period. It's a unique period of time to uh, shift from fossil fuel to renewable energy sources, and we've got to get it right. Australia needs to, uh, to get it right. By leading by example and showing other parts of the world what's possible, uh, that's really where our strength is. Welcome to Episode 2 of Energy Talks. I'm Sally Levis, the Managing Director and Founder of the Queensland Energy Club. Just to set the scene for today's podcast, I have with me in the studio Mr Robert Saunders, General Manager, 7Gen, and podcast host, Dan Brown, an energy and infrastructure lawyer and partner with global law firm Ashurst. Welcome, gentlemen. It's great to be here, Sally. Thanks, Sally. Pleasure to be here. Today's podcast showcases energy engineer and general manager, 7Gen, Mr. Robert Saunders. Robert is probably one of the most enthusiastic, dedicated and empathetic professionals I have ever had the pleasure to meet. And the Queensland Energy Club is proud to have 7Gen as a silver sponsor. 7Gen is a sister company of engineering firm Calibre, who provide advisory design, construction and maintenance services in the renewable space. I'd just like to take a minute now to quickly introduce you to today's host, Dan Brown. Then I will hand over to you, Dan, to introduce Robert and further the conversation. Dan is a vibrant energy and infrastructure lawyer with global firm Ashurst and is extremely passionate about the renewable sector. With substantial experience in the infrastructure and energy sectors across several continents, Dan has often won the praise for his high levels of activity and expertise. It's my absolute pleasure to have Dan as the host of this series of Energy Talks and the Queensland Energy Club is most grateful for the support provided by Ashurst. I'll hand now over to you, Dan, to introduce Robert. Thanks very much for that kind introduction, Sally. Look, it's with my absolute great pleasure today that I introduce you to Robert, who's the General Manager of 7Gen. Welcome, Robert. Welcome, Dan. Thank you. From the outset, Robert, I've got a bit of a curly question for you. Go for it. How did you manage to have dinner with Buzz Aldrin? Oh, Buzz Aldrin, yes. Um, What an interesting dinner it was too. (laughs) Look, I uh, have a passion, which I started at uh, 13 years of age, collecting autographs. Uh, came through a tough period of time of my life, but it's uh, something that uh, kept me going at the time. And through that, uh, I collected autographs of different sectors and space was one that appealed to me quite closely. So living in Europe at the time, I was able to participate in some autograph club events and uh, a bunch of people like myself um, paid for astronauts to attend those events. And for that, we got to spend a few days with them and they signed material on our behalf, etc. So I did. I had uh, dinner with Buzz Aldrin and his wife Lois, or one of his wives. I believe he has many, but... Um, <laughs> Interesting, and I've subsequently met four other moonwalkers as well. So wow. of the 12 men on the moon, uh, I've met five in those type of forums. So uh, what a fascinating bunch of people they are. Yeah, that's incredible. So the $100 million question, I guess, is did you go Dutch on the bill with Buzz or did he pick up the tab? <laughs> no, uh, we picked up the tab and it cost us more fortune down. But, uh, you know, the memories remain with me all those years um, today. So uh, I, I don't regret any penny at all. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and who are some of the other autographs that you have? Uh, I have around three or 4,000 at the moment. Wow. Uh, I'm interested in pioneers yep. and uh, engineers of the, uh, you know, the very beginning. So one example is um, Edmund Becquerel. He invented the photovoltaic effect or the solar effect that we work with every day. Um, I have a beautiful 1800 letter written by him in French. Wow. Uh, a colleague of mine translated it for me in the office. Yep. Um, I have a um, autograph of some of the other pioneers like uh, James Watt. 
Gustav Eiffel gave us the Eiffel Tower. All those early engineers uh, were very fascinating people, Michael Faraday as well. So I think uh, people like that we shouldn't forget um, as we continue on our journey in engineering. Yeah. And uh, they often ask. But uh, the, the, the metric units that we use every day, the volt, the watt, the amp, all come from uh, people of that nature. Yeah. And you and you have some small part of their contribution to our greater society sitting with you right now. That's amazing. Absolutely. And, and I learn a lot from them. And when you hold an autograph, uh, yes, it's a physical thing and has a financial value. But to me, it's a book uh, front cover. And uh, you delve into their careers and their achievements. And you learn so much from uh, individual people uh, of that nature. So uh, for me, it's been a really great attribute to have on my life. Um, and I've learned so much from it. Yeah. And I guess following on from that theme of, I guess, standing on the shoulders of giants and pioneers, to use your, your word, 7Gen really is a pioneer pioneer in the renewable space. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit more about that and, and Seven Gen's focus or experience in in the geothermal space because it seems like there are definitely opportunities. It's just that it's not at the forefront of our energy transition. And I feel like when we're talking about energy transition, it's hydrogen, wind, solar, pumped mm-hmm. hydro potentially, um, biomass maybe. Yeah. So look, there's two forms of geothermal. One is where you generate electricity yes. by going deep into the earth. Yes. Uh, the other one is where you use it to eject heat for cooling heating applications, which is more of a mitigation measure. Yep. So we're focusing on that second one at the moment where there's more opportunity. In a typical commercial building, Dan, probably 50 to 6% of all the energy comes from the cooling system. Yeah, right. And in Australia, of course, particularly here in Queensland, we have a high demand for cooling and it's going to get worse as time goes on. Mm-hmm. So shrinking that energy envelope of the cooling demand uh, can have a big impact. And traditional air conditioning has what's called a COP of around three and a half. That stands for coefficient of performance. What that means for every one kilowatt of electrical energy you put in, you get about three and a half kilowatts of cooling out uh, as that efficiency ratio. And uh, a bit like driving your car, if you want to go fast, which I'd never do, of course, but if I did, <laughs> I'd put my foot down and uh, I'd get the speed, but the fuel economy would drop off. Yes. And modern air conditioning is like that. When we really need it, that efficiency level, that COP drops off. With geothermal, because we're using the earth to eject heat 80, 90 metres down, the, air t- the, the ground temperature is constant all yes. year round, so it's not influenced by the air temperature. Yep. So we get a high COP of around 6.5 to 7 all, right. um, all year. So um, we're getting nearly double the efficiency of uh, cooling over a traditional solution. And look, it hasn't been uh, mainstream because it's been uh, not cost effective. Uh, the technologies come from overseas. Uh, but now the likes of Daikin, Mitsubishi, LG, uh, collaborating with people like ourselves and we're doing work together in that space. It's becoming more mainstream. So the ability to manufacture the heat pumps and the associated equipment is within these shores. And the payback period, of course, has become a lot lower. Yep. And only yesterday we had a meeting with uh, an architect that's working on the Olympics. Um, and uh, we, we had a presentation with them and uh, they celebrated last night, spoke to them this morning. And you know, the Bird uh, Nest um, Stadium up in Beijing has yes. geothermal cooling. Oh, wow. And we were speaking about the ability for the Gabba here in Queensland to use geothermal cooling and heating part of that energy mix. So it's happening on a global scale and can absolutely happen here. So it's exciting technology that's often overlooked. Yeah, yeah. I imagine actually hearing you talk about the Olympics, this is a really amazing opportunity for the Queensland government and Australia as a whole actually to really embrace like the net zero Olympics in a sense, right? Absol- we're, absolutely. We're hurtling towards net zero. You've been listening to Energy Talks by Queensland Energy Club. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, you'll be thrilled to know that the full-length interview will be available to podcast subscribers of the Queensland Energy Club. To become a podcast subscriber is simple. Just go to the podcast page at queenslandenergyclub.com.au 
and sign up to become a podcast subscriber. Thank you for listening.